that you're born an Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino. Then they make you roly-poly. You get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian-American Podcast. I'm John Viola, and today I am joined by all five members of the Italian-American Podcast familia. We've got Dolores, Anthony, Pat, Rosella, myself. We've got a great guest coming up, so obviously everybody came out in force to roll out the red, white, and green carpet for an author that I think you're going to be really interested in hearing from. But before that, guys, really wonderful to be together. First time all five of us in a while and first time in 2021. Oh my God, that's crazy. Yeah, Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. Happy New Year. Not, not on. Yeah. You never know when we're all going to make it. No, it's random. <laughs> it, it is random. And it really happens, like, especially, I feel like, especially Anthony. When Anthony's like, I'll be there, I'm like, yes. <laughs> this is like, I don't know. He's so busy, you know? He, we're all busy, but Anthony's super busy because he has a lot of kids. Wait, but we were together for that Christmas episode, right? Yeah. Yeah, we were together for the Christmas. That's true. Yeah. That's not that long ago. Oh, but hold on. Hold on. Another year and I still didn't get the duck. <laughs> it's all another oh, episode. my gosh. But, um, another year. Another, another I didn't get, year. Yeah. Throw, it was three no, weeks. I, I, what I asked for was the spaghetti and walnuts and the duck. It's coming, Pat. It's coming. Pat, let me tell you something. Yeah. Christmas Eve, I think my mother made the best spaghetti and walnuts she's ever made in her life. But how does that benefit me? I'm just letting you know, I don't know what happened, but, and I asked her, I was like, why do you think it came out so good? What'd you do differently? And she said, maybe I was a paying extra attention. That was like, oh, <laughs> that was like all she could come up with, but it was so delicious. We owe you uh, a bowl full for sure. Coming up. Yeah, demand. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and you'll get that duck one day, Pat. <laughs> I ain't going to get that duck. <laughs> you know, when Ro went to tape, her mother, they did not do the duck recipe. That's when I knew I would never see it. I said, they, they're keeping this recipe close to the vent. I didn't do the duck partly because I didn't want to hear you. <laughs> no, that was, you probably had an inside. You probably had the duck and they didn't tell me, but like, whatever. no, we did not. No, no, that's okay. I, you could, you could. It's like a secret episode. It's like a secret episode. I swear to God on my life, there was no duck at that shoot whatsoever. Imagine, imagine Rosella got the duck before Pat. Yeah, oh, we'd never hear the end of it. I, I, I just, you know, that's life. What are you going to do? I take that for granted. You know, it is kind of funny though, because the last episode being Christmas and sharing these stories and recipes and music and traditions and uh, obviously degrading into the conversation about the duck. 
uh, we've gotten so many great reactions from listeners about how wonderful it was to hear us all together again and how much it meant for their holidays and uh, the passion that we all bring when we're together. And, and I think that that's obviously clear. I mean, the love that we have for each other in this little family that we've created. And it really does speak to the topic we're here to talk about today, which is la passione, the passion of being Italian, this mysterious Italianità. And the reason that we have this great topic is because we have a greatly accomplished author with us today, who I've actually read in the past and was recently able to come across a copy of La Passione, her newest book. And it's uh, someone that as soon as I got the book and got a few chapters in, I called Stephanie and said, boy, this is a great guest for the Italian American podcast. And we're really happy that she was able to make it today. So on behalf of all of us, really honored to welcome Diane Hale to the Italian American podcast. Diane, welcome aboard. Well, it's a delight for me. I'm glad to be with you. You are obviously well-known now in the Italian-American community. Your last three books, your most recent is obviously La Passione, How Italy Seduced the World. Then right before that was Mona Lisa, A Life Discovered. And prior to that, New York Times bestseller, La Bella Lingua, A History of the Italian Language. So you are not Italian-American, but it sounds like you have a soft spot in your heart for us. I have such a soft spot in my heart. And uh, I happen to be 100% Polish and uh, grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and uh, Polish Catholic and grew up in a very ethnic neighborhood. And so when La Bella Lingua came out, my my dad, um, he, well, he called me up and he had two things to say. First question was, where did you learn to write like that? (laughs) (laughs) And his, uh, his second question was, I'm Polish. Your mother's Polish. How did you become Italian? <laughs> <laughs> it sometimes it feels like Italian is something you can become, actually. And that does lead to a great question. How did you become Italian? Because as I'm reading my show notes and our research, the early part of your career as an author, everything you're writing about is like health, mental health, wellness, topics that are obviously important to the world. But then all of a sudden you transition into Italians. Well, what happened is I wrote a book on sleep, a serious book about sleep science, and the DuPont company that makes pillow fibers, they uh, called me and asked me if I would come to Gestad in Switzerland to give a talk for the debut of their newest pillow fiber. So who says no, right? (laughs) So off I went to Gestad and uh, gave my talk, and Switzerland, which I thought I would love, was cold and dreary and bleak, and I had a ticket to go um, from say, Geneva to Zurich. And I got there and I saw that there was a train. This was a while ago. You could do these kinds of things. And it was leaving for Milano. And I thought, I have always wanted to go to Italy. And I got on that train. I had, um, but I just had to like negotiate with my suitcase and it was all very hectic. And so I uh, get on a train and I'm, um, I, I, I'm wor- really worried about my, my little suitcase. And uh, I look out the window and as the train is pulling out, I see my little valigia there on, on the track. And I start, I, I don't know any Italian. The only Italian I thought I had to learn something. And I learned it right before I got on the train, which is mi dispiace, non parlo Italian. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, whatever people said to me, this is what I said, because this is what I knew. And <laughs> I really needed help. I didn't even know how to say help. So so everybody was getting more and more agitated as I got more agitated. And so they finally called the conductor and, and he's, he's saying, Signorina, what's wrong? What can I do? And I point to my little suitcase and he says, oh, no problema. Domani mattina, domani mattina. 
everybody around me looks and smiles and they pat me and everybody and I thought oh okay so I sit down and I think okay I'm going to get to Milano there's going to be a train station I go looking for Domani Martina and uh, <laughs> and I uh, I go up to complete strangers but then I see somebody in a custodial uniform and I say Signor Domani Martina and he says tomorrow morning uh, <laughs> and what they meant of course was that if I showed up the next morning so I, I walked across the street went to a hotel got came back the next morning and there was my suitcase and um, I went to Florence and I, I got into a taxi and everyone was talking to me everywhere I went people were talking in Italian of course and I thought oh my god you know I I so want to communicate with these people. I just want to keep up. I was on a train to Venice and I was in the dining car and all these people sat down at my table and they raised their glasses and said chin chin and I just couldn't connect with them. And so before I even laid an eye on, on, on the heart of Italy, I fell in love with the language and I fell in love with these people, these people who were so warm and empathic. And I, I made a little plot promise to myself that when I got back to the United States, I was going to start and study Italian. And so, um, but you know how life is. I had a child, I had a husband, I had, I still do. <laughs> um, and, and I didn't have, you know, I, I didn't get around to it for a while. And then I started Italian classes and I, and one of my first teachers said to me, don't study Italian to learn the language. All that Italian is, is a doorway. Walk through it and discover another world. Wow. And I think all of you understand what she's saying yeah mm -hmm. that's wow that's pretty profound and, and you know you've been on the show before to talk about la bella lingua this new york times bestseller award-winning book so well received uh, in italy which yeah. you know compliment as the italian yeah. like not easy to do <laughs> no, no, not at all very uh, impressive <laughs> it is right i know the, the toughest critics you, you were even granted the honor of knighthood from the italian republic so Obviously, a significant piece of work, and if you haven't read we it, we know what that means. Yes, you that's right. Met a group of people we are who we are impressed by that. <laughs> yes, that has a lot of credence here. But obviously, your work on the language is is seminal and and so well loved. But you go from accessing the people and the place and the mysteries of Italy through this passion for the language, but clearly you become more than an Italophile after this, right? So. What made you turn to Mona Lisa next before we get to Passione? Well, that was, I was in, I spent a lot of time in Florence when I was working on La Bella Lingua, because that's the, you know, the, the mother of stone, the, the, the uh, that's Dante and La Crusca and all those places. And I, um, in the course of doing my research, I met um, a wonderful woman um, who is uh, an art curator. And so she invited me to dinner. And um, it turns out she lived in a in one of those massive Florentine palazzos and that had been in her family for generations. And, and so I was just awestruck by this uh, incredible, um, we were in this creaky elevator and everything is, is, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years old. And I said, this place is amazing. And she said, well, you know, Mona Lisa's mother grew up here. <laughs> Only in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, and you know, it takes a while for your brain just to process what she's saying. Because my first thought was, Mona Lisa's a real woman? It just never occurred to me. I thought she was a figment of Leonardo's imagination. I didn't, you know, I really didn't think that that she had a mother and a house <laughs> and a grandmother. And um, so she started telling me the story. And, and I was so intrigued by the idea that everybody, I think the Mona Lisa, I know the Mona Lisa is the most recognized image in the world. Any continent you go to, any country, uh, and you say, what's a famous work of art? People are most likely to say Mona Lisa. And all the memes we've seen and the songs, everything. So um, so I just thought, well, I wonder what her story is. And um, the way how, you know, my friend Ludovica introduced me to somebody who was doing research, who was doing genealogy. And so that's how I got to Mona Lisa. And it was, again, I wasn't, um, I'm not a Leonardo scholar. I'm not an art historian, but I love the idea of trying to recreate her life. And so what I did was I actually lived in Florence for a while and I, I walked her streets. I found out she was born on a street called Via Squaza, and it, that means to stink, and it's still <laughs> and stank back in her day and uh, people wrote about it and it's still a smelly street but they they have kind of um, oh it has been uh, gentrified a bit they put up a plaque and the whole neighborhood now has decided um, to celebrate her birthday and which is June 15th um, but but to walk her streets to go onto the I, that the place where she lived with her husband is still there and the, this convent where she died which is this magnificent old ruin so for me it was a chance to just go and um, put together her Renaissance life, and again, all every step of the way, I, I was um, I had to learn a whole lot more Italian vocabulary. I had to um, uh, go to places I otherwise might never have poked my head into, like the Florentine archives, um, where they um, I think I touched the oldest, um, you know, some book that was more than a thousand, you know, the page that was more than a thousand years old, and uh, you you dare to sneeze, and you know, you're, <laughs> I was afraid of. Being kicked out but um but it so I, and i i think every one of my experiences in italy has been like that where again you open a door and it doesn't just open onto a narrow room it opens up onto this it's like a bridge you're just kind of going and finding more and more places to discover and uh it's just been a, a great adventure in writing and along the way of course i made friends and uh italian friends and they kind of they expanded my life and um you know it was it was the warmth of italian and that embrace that you feel. And so I feel that my friends in Italy are, that I haven't known as long as some of my friends from, say, Scranton, Pennsylvania, my hometown, but I feel that same sort of warmth. And you were, you know, you you, you guys are obviously a family too, a family of sorts. And, you know, even just being- A dysfunctional this, family. But, <laughs> yeah, I think all. <laughs> but anyway, I, I think that that's the other thing that happens is it's like joining a family and uh, it keeps it keeps expanding your horizons, expanding your ideas and, and expanding the fulfillment you feel. And so you you've done all this research now and you've, you've got the second book out. At what point did it dawn on you that there was something to this idea of la passione, this Italian passion was it immediate or did it sort of evolve as a theory? I, I think it evolved because it's um, what I what I started looking for was what's the common denominator? 
you know, when I was talking to all of these linguists and these people who devoted their life to the study of the Italian language, I, one of my friends there writes dictionaries. I mean, she has spent 50 years writing these. The, you, I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen Italian dictionaries. They aren't pocket-sized. They're voluminous, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and studying the history of words. And when I was um, working on Mona Lisa and I would meet art historians and they, you know, they've devoted their life to Giotto or to Michelangelo. And, and I was thinking, what is it that 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 just bubbles up, you know, that that so grips people. Um, and uh, and it, you know, it's it's not an obsession because I think obsessions are are treated as sort of mm, double edged. You know, somebody's so obsessive that they lose interest in everything else and they're very narrow and it's all that they can think about. Whereas um, these this seems to be and I was stumbling for the word and I thought yeah, I, I was speaking to an Italian I've known for a long time. And um, and he always says the same thing to me which he's always says, oh, you, you keep telling me you're not Italian, but I swear you're Italian. And I say, why do you say that? He said, because of La Passione. And then I thought, that's it. It's La Passione. And you see it when, when you talk about your mother's cooking or whatever. What does is, what is, what is an Italian mother bring to the kitchen that makes her food so spectacular? And um, I could have the same ingredients and give you an acceptable meal, but she has something else. She has the Passione. And I, 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 you see that in Italian movies, my goodness. You know, when you think of uh, whether it's Fellini or or the great um, movies uh, of the post-war period, oh my goodness, the Passione. And so I, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting just to use that thread? And then the other place I found it that I wasn't expecting and that my Italian friend said, you really must go and meet and be with people who use their hands. Because the artisans, you know, the um, the weavers, the ceramicists, the uh, the glass blowers, um, and again, it I had not, you know, as a, I think we in America were very practical, and uh, people who make things make things for money, whereas when you when you see um, people working on looms, you know, or if you see uh, uh, if you go to Murano and you see the glassmakers, you see that that they are doing this with such a an expression. It, again, it's a passione, and I do think it to me it seems unique. Uniquely Italian. Um, lots of people. We all have, you know, people who are runners and they're they're um, bikers and they're hikers and they're um, you know they're amateur cooks and all these things. But but what I what I is a particularly joyful um, aspect that I think of is la passione. It's interesting. You remind me when you talk about watching people with their hands. One book that we always had in my house, um, my grandfather had, and I, I've inherited. I think I think the author's name is Paul Hoffman. Uh, called that that fine Italian hand, and yeah. I've always clung to that phrase, that fine Italian hand. The idea of, you know, we we talk about it on the show a lot. Like you go to a pastry shop in Italy, and they wrap the pastries as if it's a birthday gift. You know, it's beautiful, it's perfectly done, and the ribbon's perfect. And you maybe you don't see that in other places. Yes, and the pleasure that goes into it. You know, the sense of um, I'm I'm making this thing beautiful and it's um, uh, it gives me pleasure to be making it. And uh, but you're right. I bought flowers in Italy and here, you know, you, you buy flowers. They put them in one of those you know, little sacks, you know, and, and you walk out, you buy flowers in Italy. And then it's like, 
15 minutes of wrapping them up and, and you know, arranging them. And, uh, and I, I think that's, uh, it's a wonderful thing. And so what, what I, as a non-Italian, feel is that, in a sense, it's a porous culture. It lets people in. I'm not saying it lets you in all the way into the true bosom of the family, but it lets you in more so than I've ever felt in France or Germany. My husband's from British background. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you, there's sort of this wall, you know, and you can appreciate their culture and you can talk about things. But with Italians, it's more of like, we want you to feel the joy we're feeling. So I've always felt that that's another part of the passione, the desire, the desire to uh, uh, to just share that joy in living. It's interesting you say that. One of the questions that I had for you was this idea that you know, as you're writing this now, and you're you're introduced through Italian friends, or you're uh, you know, the beauty of the book is you take it through a bunch of different examples, so you know, different scenarios and places where you find this passione, and I often feel that it takes an outsider, and I don't mean necessarily just ethnically as, you know, a, a Polish American or even us as Italian Americans, part of this diaspora. Sometimes I feel like we're better at turning the celebratory lens on the beauties of Italy than Italians are. You know, you, you read these polls and like they polled the European Union and Italy's one of the least happy countries, you know, but like you're there and it's clearly happy and they're and they bring this passion and joy to everything they do. But when you ask them to report, they say they're unhappy. And if you ask them about their country, it's complaints. Do you find that maybe it's the outsider view that gives you a better perspective? And in that case, when you're introducing the concept in the book, do you find you make converts? Do you get Italians that kind of fess up and say, you know what, we got it pretty good here? Well, it's interesting. One of the things that made me most nervous about La Bella Lingua, I thought, what chutzpah? You know, there's not an Italian word for chutzpah, but what chutzpah? Here <laughs> I am writing a book about a language that isn't my own. And uh, the Italians are, I, they are probably going to tear me apart. You know, how how dare I do this? Uh, and instead, I, I was presenting the book for the first time at the Cultural Institute in New York City. And the consul himself came over and he said, um, none of us here could have written this book. None of us here should have written this book because no one would believe us. They would just say we're bragging. Are you serious? He said that? I'm jealous. Like, that's remarkable. <laughs> to get a compliment under the consulate. That, like, was it snowing outside? Because, like, <laughs> it, it's like that only happens, I swear to you, every 150 years. Because she's not genetically Italian and she's not Southern. I that know, but still, accent. like, I, I feel like they're never that complimentary to anyone. That's true. This is a question I have for Diane, if you'll permit me a second for the rest of the host, because this is kind of like an ongoing theme in our many conversations. Do you think Diane would have received as much love and acceptance if she were Italian-American? Oh, my God. No, never. No, never. No, never. No, never. No. Like, never, no. never, no. ever. No, I, I'd have to be blind and have one leg. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, no way. Never, even ever, then. Ever, ever. Sorry, Diane, not to be a downer. Diane, but... <laughs> Sarah, I'm sorry. We're not that awful. But, but it's awful. also interesting because uh, Italians are also very critical of how other Italians speak Italian. Have you? Yes. You've noticed this, right? Yeah. That is one of the number one themes on this <laughs> podcast. The Italian language enrages me because I'm in the, I speak Neapolitan. <laughs> that I can't. I couldn't say enough of negativity. Wow, you really went there with Diane. <laughs> no, because Diane, no, well, Diane's a wonderful person. She's like, of course. she sees all the Italia La Bella. She doesn't yeah. see the brutal part. Yeah, that's like holding with the concept. They go, oh, Diane, beautiful book that you wrote. 
Right. Which it is. But if you put one of us on all oh, these people of from New Jersey, <laughs> Italy is not in the way. <laughs> but that's an interesting point, though, because I wonder sometimes, and I think it, it speaks to the same question that I asked Diane at the beginning of this, which is, is there maybe some need for outside validation that they might have under the surface? And I do think there's a big difference between we and the diaspora, Italian-Americans or Canadians, whatever, and non-Italians. I wonder if there's some sense of validation that somebody outside the tribe has uh, appreciated and celebrated what they maybe take for granted. Did you get that sense? So one of the things, I didn't know any Italian history. As you know, if you went to school in the United States, you don't study Italy's history. You know, it's just, um, you know, other than um, the world wars. And, uh, but, you know, you just don't have any, any sense of that. But when I learned Italian history, I realized that Italy is such a new concept, you know, younger than the United States. And I think that some of this criticism and this wariness is just comes from being you know are you from the north or from the south are you from sicily are you from um venice are you from torino um and and this sense of that that they of natural pride but that here you had all of this divisions and um you know all of these these different cultures as an outsider i cannot think in terms of italy the the regions i i think of italy you know and and i respect the differences but I, i didn't i don't have um uh, you know, I, I I don't have a dog in that fight. You know, it's not like I'm. That's why you got the cobbled yet, because you don't have a dog in that fight. We're too. That's, hey, that's a compliment. Diane, these are all loving compliments. Don't think about that exactly why. <laughs> I must say, though, talk about a fond spot in my heart. Um, when um, we, we were in Naples and um, we we had a friend and I was talking, I'd never had authentic Neapolitan pizza. And he said, my father is a pizza maker. And so we were all, uh, we all went to his father's pizzeria. And uh, my God, we had every pizza that he made, you know, we were just, uh, and so, um, so they, he, we were chatting with his father and um, and he was saying, well, we have to be celebrating something. And it was no one's birthday. And I said, well, my husband's birthday. And they said, oh, we're going to celebrate Roberto. We're going to celebrate his birthday. And I said, well, wait a second. This is August. His birthday's in March. And they said, but we won't be here then. And so next thing I knew, there was a chocolate cake. And then next thing I knew, they said, well, you have to come out and see the view from this point on the pier. And we walk out on the pier and they'd arranged fireworks. There were over the skies of, of Naples, there were fireworks in honor of my husband's birthday when it was not his birthday. It was not within six months of his birthday, but we were just celebrating his life. And I thought, isn't that great? That's Italy. Neapolitans like to delude themselves. <laughs> That's the beauty of Neapolitans. They're not married to reality. That's why they're so creative. <laughs> That's the truth. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. First of all, Diane, it's it's great to have you back on the podcast. It's been some time, but just in general question in terms of writing, I mean, I know a lot of our listeners and, you know, we have a group online, a Facebook group and in the new neighborhood, and a lot of people like to do a lot of exploration of their Italian heritage. And, and thankfully I'm happy that a lot of them have written about it and they've tried to, you know, create their own content around their families, which is great because then they have a record of it. But I guess the question for you is obviously, like you said, 
you're not Italian, you were getting into different, you know, the language and different aspects of, of Italian culture. What does the process look like in terms of research and preparation in terms of writing these books? I'm interested just to hear about how you approach that. Well, um, it's it's immersion. I, I mean, there's there's no immersion in every sense. I, I'm I, there was there for when I started um, studying the language, and I the, the way I got to write La Bella Lingua was I I was taking Italian lessons for the reasons I gave you. I wanted to be able to speak to Italians, and I was meeting with my agent because that's what I I'm a professional writer. I write books, and we were talking about possible book ideas, and and she was poo pooing all of them, and then she said. Well, why don't you know? You always light up when you talk about Italy. Why don't you write a book about Italy? And I said, because they're done. I cannot. There's nothing to write about. It's it's already been written. And she said, well, but you're taking Italian lessons. Isn't there a book in that? And I thought, you know, I don't know. But I went looking for it, and I thought, wow, you know, Italy, like anything, you it seems to me, on any street corner in Italy, you could find something that has a great story that goes back forever. But but I I I just didn't know where to start. But so I I would suggest I think that. In terms of the the research, the first stage is just immersion. You know, you you listen to the music, you watch the movies. You um, you know, I I I we're staying at a at a rental house, and they had all of these wonderful comic books. Um, Diabolique, that was my favorite, and these are Italian. They, I think these were like from the fifties and sixties, but they're graphic novels. We would call them today, but they they were comic books, and uh, and you 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 know, they had these little Italian phrases. But you you, you know, so I think you you know you you listen to people's stories and. Italians love to tell their stories and so it just kind of comes comes at you and then of course since since this is how I've made a living I know I, I think I know then how to say okay how am I going to structure this and some of that is is very concrete there's the making of the folders there's the uh you know the 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 the, the kind of the list of well before I can you know it looks like I'm going to have to find out about Dante it looks like I'm going to have to read Dante and then you know just Boccaccio and then so that there's there's a, a system to it but in the beginning I think you just put your antennas out and you pull this all together and then I think you look for a through line and I if the if you're Italian I think you're fortunate because you can use the through line of your family or the through light you know what I mean you can because that that will lead you through it Um, but but I think that it's it's a matter of of opening yourself up in terms of research I swear I I probably own at least 500 books on Italian I mean I I just I'm not just the language but I mean guides and you know um, biographies and fiction and and um, I haven't read them all, but but I I feel like they surround me. <laughs> yeah. know, I, I, this little Italian world. I, I've always loved opera, so I mean that was just a wonderful thing to sort of. Uh, so so I think if you're Italian American, you can just go to Nona's and probably find yourself immersed in the world. I had to work at hard at a little bit more, but I, I think then stories bubble up. You know what I mean? You can't go out there and say I want to do a story and it's going to have um, you know a mystery and there's going to be drama and there's going to be um, romance and da, da 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 it kind of bubbles up inside and then you then you follow it but um but I, I and I always encourage people to write their stories if only if nobody reads them but you're you're yet yet unborn grandchildren it'll be a gift yeah no that's great it's good to hear that and you know that is one of the things that we tell our listeners all the time is if you can if you have the ability to do so you should go back to where your family came from and visit you know their places of origin and I think to your point of immersion you know, I know for me, when I started writing about my family, going there was like transformative in terms of seeing it. So that's, it's good to hear you say that because 
we do tell people to do that. And, you know, you have a, you know, an author here, a professional writer who's telling you that that's going to bring, that's going to help you in the process of capturing things. And so that's great. Thank you for that. Um, I have a, I have a really important question, actually. Um, John, John, is that a pipe in your hands? <laughs> yes, it is. And, and speaking of that fine Italian hand, uh, so I'm a reformed cigarette smoker and uh, I have recently been doing my research and I have found there are a few handmade pipes from Southern Italy. This is one of them. This is Amorelli from Sicily. Uh, and I should have known. That is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is beautiful. Yeah. So it's, it's I've really... never seen him holding a pipe. So it's just, I'm looking at him thinking he's holding a pipe. It's not lit. It's more right. for the oral <laughs> fixation. I fancy myself a Southern Italian gentleman. So I'm just clicking it in my teeth. But yes, this is, but again, talk about craftsmanship, you know, like, and, and you talk yeah. about the Italian inability to celebrate themselves. Like it's been so hard for me to find information on, you know, these local artisans and these traditions. And there's nothing out there. They just aren't, they don't, they don't really push themselves well. I don't know if there's a, a, a subtle confidence in that or a lack of confidence in that. I really can't figure out what it is. Diane, did you, did you see that? Yeah, maybe they aren't as entrepreneurial as we are in that sense. You know what I mean? Because uh, if you're in Italy and you stop at, um, at, you know, there's there's a site, just a, you know, some sort of monument. And it's this, it turns out to be so wonderful. And you're thinking, you know, if this were in the United States, there would be a, a tourist shop. There would be a, <laughs> you know, a, a place to get gas, a place to get food, postcards, sweatshirts. I was here. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and whereas I think there's a sense of this is what you should be doing. You should be making beautiful things in the world. And the world should be smart enough to come and get them you know it's almost like um you know i shouldn't have to um promote myself or to promote my products that's very well said there is that italian sense of like you should come to me mm-hmm. i was in london a few years back and i went to the british museum and stumbled onto an amazing exhibit on the history of sicily up from greek times to norman uh, byzantine times or norman arab times and it was just this a wonderful exhibit, so thorough and amazing pieces that some of which, you know, I'd never even known existed. And I, I'm Sicilian myself, and I've been there a lot. And I walked through this thing, and I was totally blown away by how well curated it was and explained and shared. And then I got into the British Museum gift shop, and there was all these amazing souvenirs with the, you know, mosaics from the Capella Palatina. And I, I mean, I spent a fortune, gobbled up everything. And then I left, and I thought to myself, had I gone to the Capella Palatina, I would not have gotten the same explanation. It wouldn't have been as clear. Nobody would have pointed out anything and there would be no gift shop. And I thought this is amazing that it takes the British Museum to to do this, you know? And I think that's slowly been changing. I was just reading that, um, if, you know, in, in Rome for years and years, I'd walked around the the Augustus Mausoleum, and it was just a wreck. It was just like a place where people threw garbage, and 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 I and, and it's it's sort of in the way. I mean, you you walk by it all the time, and I would think, what a shame, what a shame. And so I just today I I posted a, a, an article that it's opening this spring. It's been totally the restoration is over, and um, and and I, and I thought like how many hundreds 2000 years more or less it's been <laughs> it's been yeah. uh, it's been there but um but you know and it's not the thing is that i don't know my thinking is it's good to have the gift shop and the tickets because that's how you support it you know that's how you keep it in business and you keep it cleaned and you keep you know you maintain things um but but there i i you know it's it's i i have had had Ita- been with italians who say oh no that would ruin it you know and <laughs> so i think it's an american sensibility we're entrepreneurial it might also be an embarrassment of riches, you know? I mean, yeah. I used to go to that 
site near Augustus's mausoleum all the time. They used to have a wonderful flea market every, every yeah. month. Yeah. And uh, I remember as a like, teenager being like, what is this pile of rocks? Yeah. And there's no signage. And then it dawns on you that the first Roman emperor was buried here. And you think to yourself, we have presidents of no consequence. We have presidential libraries. This is Augustus and it's a pile of rocks, you know? Yes. Um, so, but even like if you go to Vesuvius, you know, or, or, or Etna, um, it's not exactly set up the way, you know, it would be a theme park here. You know, I mean, there it's, it's sort of low key. But you yeah, say why, Diane? All the entrepreneurs packed up and came to America. Ah, uh, true, true. They, they bled all the guy, the guy who sat there and said, I would make a theme park out of this. He got disgusted with Italy and got a plane and came to New York. That's true. They, they did. They, they lost the entrepreneurial class, 100%. Yeah, that's very true. It's just not a country that encourages risk or entrepreneurship, and it's costed a, a significant portion of the population that might have been. You guys would know this, too, even with startup businesses. I gather it's hard to do a, to do a startup in Italy. and I, I'm it's, in it's impossible. Yeah, because it's a it's a system that's a class based system, and it it works hard to keep people where they are. Mm-hmm. There's an Italy that you see when you go to Italy, and then there's an Italy that there's like a behind the door, I guess. And I think part of the Italians kind of like joie de vivre, if you want to use that word, is the fact that there's not a lot of social mobility. Mm-hmm. So where America, there's the pressure of I have to do better than my parents, I have to have the better car, the better house. In Italy, there's so many barriers that if you kind of stay the same social level, economic level that your parents were at, it's kind of, you know, you're good. They don't have that pressure of ladder climbing, I think, that America has. That's interesting. That's I think that's so well said. So basically, like, dolce far niente is because what's the point of trying? Yeah, sure. Because I say all the time, the greatest, interesting, the greatest monument to America is Bill Clinton in this sense regardless of your politics. He became the president of the United States and a world leader, and he came from abject poverty in Arkansas. That would never have happened anywhere else in the world. In Italy, a kid that came from such a messed up, you know, his father died young, his mother had a rough marriage, a second marriage, around. a guy, no matter how you are politically, that has nothing to do with politics, there is no way that that guy could have moved up the ladder in it and never been respected. Because in Italy, you are as respected as your parents so you could be a merchant, you could make money, but it doesn't mean you get into the club. Yeah. You could be really rich in Italy, but you know, if your great grandfather didn't have a university degree, you're never gonna be in the club. Well, I hate a lot about Italy. Yeah, because how much I love about Italy. The thing I really hate about Italy is the snobbery of the class system because it has hurt them. Diane talks about research and, and surrounding herself with books. One of the books that I, I found really very telling in my years reading about Italy, and, and Diane, I don't know if you encountered this one, is Bill Emmett's Good Italy, Bad Italy. He was the, um, I guess he might still be the economist, uh, I guess, bureau chief in Rome. And it really is a treatise on the duality of Italy and the Italian character and the idea that on the side, like you're writing about with this passione and this amazing ability. And, you know, we used to talk at, at NIAF about the Italian fifth gear, like we'd be the night before a big event, nothing be planned, everybody be scrambling, but you knew it, be, it would come off perfectly and look to the outside world amazing. And then the bad Italy, which is the side of Italy that doesn't encourage entrepreneurship and does cling to a lot of its classist roots and limitations and things like that. And I, and I do find it interesting. And I, and I wonder sometimes, um, maybe Pat's right, maybe there is a sense of being in your own little world that is so born into the people that 
you can find the passion in your everyday life and in the things you do because you might not have this sense of Yes. Well, and, and I think that that was the other point that I was going to make was that I did meet you when you were showing uh, your 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 pipe. Uh, we were um, we were in, um, in I think it was in Montepulciano, one of those great wine towns. And we went to a vineyard and um, there, we, the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard was taking us around. It turns out he was a wonderful artist and he also hand, he had a whole room of of pipes that he had carved but then he also had his paintings and he was also had these tapestries and then he he designed each one of the labels and i again i had the feeling that you know again if he in the united states he would have had to choose one thing and and he could have risen up and you know and here um but he enriched his life you know even if there was a ceiling you know i think that's what you're saying is there's a ceiling that people can't rise above it's like a, a strange like um I never knew there were rich people in Italy mm. because we just all assumed because everybody came here was probably middle class. Mm -hmm. They said everybody was dirt poor, but you had to have enough money to buy the ticket. So you went from middle class, working class, all the way down to poverty. But we were poor. But while we were starving or, or, or at least going hungry, there were plenty of people who were loaded. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the beauty that you see in Italy is post-war, mm -hmm. kind of social development that came from the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of skeletons in the closet that have never really disappeared of like a very much of a class of a class system. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think they mock Italian Americans because like, oh, you are the children of our peasants. Mm -hmm. It leads to an interesting question for Diane, because, you know, you, you talk about the dichotomy between Italy's place in the world and Italy's struggles economically and politically and, and sometimes socially and the it clearly latent potential, I guess would be the way I'd say it, right? The, the, the bubbling potential of these amazing people like a Vintner who is also an artist and who is also a pipe maker. And again, that fine Italian hand. What do you think, Diane, now that you've really been so uh, immersed in, in the Italian psyche, when you're there, do you have any sense of the disconnect between the potential of Italians and the inability of the country to sort of get things together. Yes, and and I, but I, I remember even on my first trips there, they um, when I, I would I would hear like the taxi driver say, oh, "Povera Italia, mal governato." You know, <laughs> always, you know, the, just this sense of uh, and and however bad things would get in America, they would say, "But no, it's you know, you have you, you know, you'll you'll figure it out." You know, not it. Well, they're not saying that now. <laughs> no, they. Um, but but there there was there's a, a fatalism, you know that 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 um, uh, that that it's it's almost like not changeable, you know that 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 this is poor Italy. It's never going to um, to to get its act together. Poor Italy. It's uh, you know and 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 yet that does not keep them. Um, uh, for instance, for from trying to preserve these um, Renaissance looms, or you know, from trying to uh, you know maintain a certain kind of music, uh, for just you know, it doesn't it doesn't stifle the artistry. But yes, I do get this sense. 
sense of um, and 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 I hear that um, really in when I here in the San Francisco Bay Area there are so many young Italians who come here because they just want to be part of the startup and part they miss Italy so much you know what I mean they they and, and but there's this sense of I could not be doing this I could not be uh, working on this incredible graphic arts project and making a business and getting clients I could not be doing that in Italy they would be on me for taxes they would be on me for this there would be the bureaucracy so so I think that there is this 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 frustration and for some I, I I don't know I don't imagine that it's easy to pick up and come to the United States harder than ever these days I guess but um uh, but, but just because of the the COVID things and everything else but but just the fact that 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 there is a you know you, you meet people young young people in the United States who say I'm going to be a star I'm going to do this I'm going to you know and I don't I don't know if that kind of, there's a feeling of I'm going to to try to do as much as I can with my talent, but I'm not too optimistic that I'll break through. Yeah, I don't. I think I don't think there's the same sense of limitless potential. You know, I don't think that that's born into the social psychology of the country like it is here. It's just harder in Italy to escape. You know, your your circumstances. It, it, if you are were born, you know, in the south to uh, a, a basically poor family or something, you know, it's harder to go up north and to be a cosmopolitan, you know, if you, if you want to be a showgirl and you're born in Sicily, it's really hard to get up to Chinachita and to make the right connections and to know the, know, you know, what to do. It's not the same thing as growing up in like Southern Florida or Alabama or something and go to a big city and, you know, make your way. It's just not the same. And and I a lot of my friends who have grown up, you know, their children as they've gone through college, they 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 encourage them to to actually, you know, uh, if you're if they're even if they're doctors, it's like, well, I, I'm hoping that she'll go and work in Switzerland, or you know what I mean? It's there's a sense of uh, there's better opportunity elsewhere. Because in Italy, you get the job because of who you know and who you're related to. Mm-hmm. So there's the competent doctor who would want to get a Nobel Prize, and then mm-hmm. there's an idiot doctor. If the idiot doctor's father is friends with the head of the hospital. The idiot doctor gets the job. Yeah. That's what kills them as a country. That's why so mm-hmm. many Italian researchers who either make significant discoveries or uh, their papers are lauded or the patents taken out, they're actually done overseas. You know, that's, that's, that's a big problem. It's a big problem for Italy. You know, the whole the idea of family, it's a curse and it's a blessing because you take care of your friends and family and when you make wine, you send them a bottle. And then when their kid is the worst doctor out of their class, but the kid needs a job and you're the head of the hospital, that, you know, the same, well, you remember I sent you that bottle in October. Now you can't help my kid. You know, I baptized your nephew. We're like family and you can't help me out. So I, I don't know, Diane, I'm like the grim reaper of all things Italian. So you have this positive, beautiful passione story, but I'm here being me to pop, to pop your happy balloon. I feel like we're dragging Diane into darkness. And then they leave the room and then all our demons come out of the closet. I wonder if that's figura. That's an interesting point. I had never thought of that. Yeah. I wonder if coming as an American who's learning the language, learning the place, I wonder if figura is sort of that veil that maybe is naturally pulled back for an Italian-American and not other people. I don't know. Let the games begin. Mediaset Italia has the most exciting, 
high-octane, full-drama game shows, and reality TV this fall. With new seasons of Celebrities Stuck Together 24-7 on Grande Fratello VIP. Testing your smarts on Chi Vuole Essere Milionario with Jerry Scotti. And the biggest talents in Italy discovered with Tu Si Che Vales. Plus, more trivia tests on Caduta Libera and important stories and exclusive interviews with live Nonella è la D'Urso. DirecTV has the Italian TV you love. Get Mediaset Italia a la carte for $10 a month plus taxes or the Italian Direct Package for $20 a month plus taxes. Visit directtv.com forward slash Mediaset or call 1-877-912-912. 2702 to learn more and subscribe. World Direct a la carte service requires activation of a qualifying base package. For new customers, equipment lease, activation, early termination, equipment non-return, and other charges and restrictions apply. Call 1-877-912-2702 or visit att.com for full details. wanted to ask you though um do you know uh, you know a lot of um uh, my generation there's now a new generation coming up in italy um do, do you get a sense that that the younger people the people in their 20s and their 30s are they um resigned are they no no there's they, some uh, some are better this improvement comes in stages yeah to quote john zagni the pollster the first global generation yeah so some of them speak perfect english and are completely evolved and there's a group that have progressed and there's a group that hasn't. I found a lot. It depends. It's a 50-50 mix. And it goes to Diane's earlier point about, frankly, you know, in the U.S. curriculum, we don't learn much about Italy. But then you have to really ask yourself, too, what is the modern Italian learning about their history and heritage in Italy? You know, I remember a couple of years ago during the Renzi government, there was a law a bill passed to provide a stipend for young students to go to museums and cultural sites. And it was a very liberal application of what that meant. So basically they were able to hang out on the government bill a couple of times a year, but there was an awareness that even in Italy, the curriculum in civics and history is lacking. So most Italians kind of end whatever history they get, I guess at world war one, they you know they obviously don't dig too deep into fascism and, and beyond. So I feel like Italians are, well aware of maybe their local and family histories, but not so much of the history of the country and maybe even the community beyond well, it's um, there. There are different kinds of histories. I have met Italians who could tell you the history of textiles. I mean, truly, you know, I mean, just the yeah. silk and the, you know, the, uh, the which ones were imported and how they came and where they worked and what made the, the silks of Tuscany different from the, the silks of Normandy. Of, of, um, well, actually, they were competing with Normandy. But, you know, so that that there's that kind of specialized in the artisanal uh, world, that kind of history. I think that you get that in cooks and in chefs and in restaurants and that there has been a lot of revival of old recipes and you know, the old, um, uh, the, the you know, that, that, that sort of tradition. In terms of Italy, the nation um i'm not so again i think that you know like if you're in a certain region um you really know that regions you know their tuscans are very very proud of their history um sicilians i found you know very very pr- but but you know when when i've been in sicily and i've taken a lot of um you know tours and gone to the museums um you you, you know it's it, italy is just mentioned <laughs> you know it's it, 
the rest of Italy. It's like, you know, so that I think that there's the sense that, again, it reinforces the, the, the provincialism. You do get the sense of a lack of a nuanced approach to a general history or a great man history. You know, you go to Italy, right? And the monuments that people relate to are like religious monuments or local heroes. And there's a statue of Garibaldi in every city, but most Italians probably couldn't tell you where it was. And maybe there's one of Victor Emmanuel II, the first king of Italy, and they probably could care less that it's there. They may not even recognize who it is. But the local stuff is what really, I think, gets into people's skin. And, you know, Diane's talking about the idea that you could be an expert in the history of textile. And you're right. I mean, uh, we've done projects in Italy. Pat and I did one with some colleagues of his in Le Marche. And I was blown away by the history of this town and their annual event that they had every year in this medieval tradition that was revived in the 50s. And they knew every year who had won. And this, But, you know, the general history was kind of lost. So I oftentimes think that we always come back to kind of the point Metternich made, which is Italy is in some ways a geographic expression. And maybe it's that passione more than anything else that actually does a better job of uniting Italians than any other aspect of the culture, the language, the cuisine, everything that's so separate with regional identity. Maybe that is the underlying string that ties it all together is this often inexplicable ability to bring passion and finesse to uh, whatever they're doing. Well, that's that's certainly what I concluded after after all the after you know absorbing all the, the all the research and uh, talking to so many people. But I did because I heard every whenever in every part, uh, you know, when you you go from Venice and you know if you go to Venice at Carnivale and then you go to you know to to Rome and then you go to Naples and and um, and everything changes, but there's something that's always the same. You know, I mean, you still know you're in Italy. You know, even if the uh, the, the whatever whatever the the, the vocabulary, the the dialect, the accent, the the nuances of the dishes, and and that's what I do think of La Passione, and I think for those the outsiders uh, that that that's what we see and feel, and that's why we love Italy, and. Um, uh, when I, I was just thinking uh, that as I was listening to all of you, is I thinking, oh, I miss Italians. I miss conversations like this. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> I can't understand why anybody would voluntarily want to listen to all of this. I can't get over. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> this is a conversation that, as you know, in Italy would go on for six more hours. You're and they'd be like, right. oh, no, oh, we'd be on course number three right now. <laughs> That's the benefit. When you get to fight in Italy, you get to eat. Well, that's why we were so uh, excited to have you on the show, Diane, because this is, I think for us, it is a passion to do this, to get together as real friends who have these conversations as much off the mic as we do on. I mean, we had an episode come out a couple weeks ago, Pat and I interviewed another friend of ours who's a Sicilian American historian. And I wasn't joking. It was a five hour recording session. It was five hours. And I, and I edited it down to an hour. And I think the audience sometimes thinks we make that up, but that's, that's no exaggeration. That's true. And I, I love how much you get that and appreciate that. So it's, uh, again, complimenty if we're of any worth compared to the council general, I think compliments from all of us. More so, more so. <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell him that. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question before we let you go. I guess like you point out, your agent's got to give you some sort of yay or nay, but do you have the next project in mind? And may we ask what it is? And if not, is it at least Italian? Because now that we've got you, we don't want to lose you back to sleep and maternity and things like that. 
Well, actually, um, during the pandemic, Italy once again inspired me. And I was, you know, in the beginning, we just thought this was going to be Italy and China's problem. I mean, that, that is how Americans thought. And, uh, and you know, I was so um, concerned about Italy and watching everything that was going on in Italy and, and impressed by those wonderful leaps of creativity that we saw, you know, the singing, the dancing, the, the decorating. And so I have, um, I, I, I wrote a little book, A is for Amore, it's, a, it's on my, it's free. It's just my little, little love song to Italy. And it's an alphabetical um, guide to, um, uh, to things I love about Italy. And um, I would, I, I would just um, say to your followers, um, if you just want a little spritz, <laughs> a little bit of Italy, just go to dianehales.com. It's absolutely free. Uh, it's just a fun book. And, um, and it sort of kept, um, it, it kept my love for Italy, uh, you know, flickering in my in my heart during this. And so, uh, so now I'm, um, I'm, I'm actually, um, I think we all are, you know, like we, we locked down and we, 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 we didn't even look at the suitcases. But now I, I do find I, I bet you, you too are also thinking, well, surely in you know, like sometime in the year, so it, it, it's going to happen, right? We're going to be back there. Well, let me ask you a question then Stop. for a final question. When that day comes, when they lift the ban and we are all able to return to Il Bel Paese, what is your first stop? What's the one place that you miss the most, if you could pick it? Oh, there, there is, because it's, it's a little place. It's, uh, it's in the Marenma on the Tuscan coast, and it's, um, uh, the, there's a, the nearest town is Porto Ercole. And um, for, goodness, probably 20 years, we've, we've rented different homes there. And um, I swim. We, we, um, we just, we, our friends come and stay with us. We, we eat food, you know, fish that's been, you know, hauled out of the water that morning. And, um, and we drink the local wines, and um, we lie in the sun and listen to music and Dolce Farniente, you know, and, um, but I, I think more than a place, it's, uh, there are people I care about very deeply. I would just love to hug and see them. And, uh, you know, I think even, um, you know, if, if, even if it was at the tarmac <laughs> of Fumancino, uh, I think I would be happy just to see those people, to, you know, to see them with your eyes, to feel them in your arms. Especially if your luggage arrived. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're so lucky. But, but see, doesn't that say something? Is here we've been talking about all these cultural things and these wonderful, you know, buildings and churches and museums and statues, and yet what I think of are the people and um, and feeling their passion and being in the sunshine and um, and breathing the air. Uh, I do think that uh, one archaeologist I was interviewing saying that Italy comes up at you kind of through the soles of your feet. You know, I mean, there's something that 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 comes into you. So that's what I look forward to. And if I have to do it on the tarmac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's what makes you a real italian diane because you're absolutely right it's like you could talk about the mausoleum of augustus it's not in the stones really it's in italy's people and it's in the warmth and it is that you said it's a brilliant thing it's a porous culture it's inviting and even if it doesn't know it's inviting you in it, it sucks you in and i think you <laughs> that's right even if you don't want if you're not even sure you want to go <laughs> no you're right yeah and you've been sucked in and we're, we're happy to have you in the tribe and really hopeful that you keep doing what you're doing and writing such wonderful books on place that I know means the world to all of us. So thank you from all of us for what you do. Well, thank you, because you really have brought Italy back into my life. Um, and I hadn't, again, I hadn't realized how much I missed it until I- You're like, these people are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she loves. That's, what that, that's a cold word, Italian cold word. 
Oh, oh, Diane, that's the next book. Italian is code word for crazy. <laughs> that will be New York Times bestseller. Italian is code word for she crazy. She already had one. No, no, but I'm another one. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying I just think that. Well, this has been a great one, and please come back anytime. Uh, if you miss Italy, I'll send you the unedited audio of our uh, of our shows. You can five, six hours of this ramble. You'll feel like you're there. So, guys, uh, it's good to be back together again. I know it's always hard when it's such a great topic and great guest for us to all get in there, but I think we all got our, our questions answered, right? Yes. Yes. Grazie. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Thanks, Diane. Nice meeting you. Ciao, ciao. Well, from all of us, the Italian American podcast, that was a lot of fun. Wait, wait, I didn't finish yet. Poor Uh, John. (laughs) And I hope everybody goes out and gets the books. They're great reads while you wait to return to Italy. I know I'll be finishing Passione uh, very, very soon and looking forward to Diane's next one. So from all of us, the Italian American podcast, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano 